0: everyone don't forget to go to RebrunningSafety.com to get yourself some cool ass merch get some sweatshirts t-shirts mugs tote bags and you can support us a little bit more and the best of it is you wouldn't even know you're supporting a health and safety channel because it just looks cool man don't forget rebrandsafety.com get yourself some merch peeps safe What's up, guys? Welcome back to Rebranded Safety. Rebranded Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. We are here to challenge the perception. We're here to challenge those health and safety gone mad practices, and we do that through amazing conversations on this podcast, and we do that through simple instructional videos on YouTube. So, if you're listening on a podcast, make sure you go out and check out. YouTube and if you're listening on YouTube make sure you go and check the podcast Today on the podcast we've got Ron Gantt here to talk all about Safety Differently. Ron is the owner and contributor to SafetyDifferently.com, the Director of Innovation and Operations at Reflective Consulting Group, Vice President SCM Safety and a massive player uh, in the game. For sure we are going to talk all about Safety Differently and where it fits fits into the myriad of health and safety solutions out there. Safety 1, safety 2, safety differently, baby based safety. There's so much we need to think about nowadays and there's so much we talk about in this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. Six. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in- Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Welcome to the podcast, Ron.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, thank you for coming on. It's great. So, okay, let, let's just get straight. We're going to talk about kind of safety differently and stuff like that, but so why don't you kind of, why, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us the story of how you came to uh, kind of be the owner and co- contributor to the website and, and what, it, I mean, what it was to you. And then, and then we'll just kind of go down the rabbit's rabbit hole from there.
1: Perfect. Yeah. So I uh, got st- I mean, I was kind of raised in the safety business. My dad was a firefighter and my mom worked in public service with the fire department and whatnot. So my whole life I was surrounded with like public safety and things like that. And then, um, you know, a little bit later in my childhood, my dad retired and started a company uh, doing consulting work in in occupational safety. Um, And I always swore I'd never join it um but then uh you know kind of right out of high school i was in a band and the band didn't work out (laughs) so so i asked my dad for a temporary job um and uh, of course you know here i am 18 years later but uh, (laughs) working for the same company but um so i mean i i got i got you know kind of like a lot of people fell into safety in general um not really knowing what it was and you know I, i you know i started off Ground floor inspecting you know for compliance stuff like fire extinguishers and you know emergency lights and things of that nature um and you know it's sort of worked my way up got you know my degrees and, and things like that and and as I started gaining more knowledge I started to realize well there's a lot more to safety than just compliance and that piqued my curiosity as to okay what else is there so that you know I started diving deeper and deeper and deeper and you know I happened upon um some of, you know, like uh, the work on like management systems and uh, risk assessments, you know, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. This is what safety is all about. Um, and, you know, I did that for a few years. Um, but, you know, then you kind of reach the limits of that. And, and, and I was, OK, what else is there? And so I dug deeper there. And, and then I happened upon um, a, uh, a book by Todd Conklin. Um, and uh, pre accident Investigation was, is one of his first books, and I read that book, and it, it, the book itself was, was great, and it like really inspired me, but most importantly, actually, at the end of that book is a reading list. Like, hey, if you're interested in this, here's a bunch more stuff you can read. Yeah. I was the nerd who like, started at the top and you know, worked yeah. his way down, um, and, and that led me to more stuff to read. And so that just like really opened my eyes to this whole other approach to safety that, you know, some people call safety differently. Others call View, Hoppers, all sorts of goofy names. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of that uh, as we mo- you know, move forward in our conversation. But um, at, around also, you know, that same time, someone else I knew, I was in a master's program at that time, and they forwarded me a link to safetydifferently.com um saying hey here you, you're really interested in that well here's a great site that's based on that and and that's this was like 2000 late 2013 early 2014 and when the site was just starting daniel hummerdahl started the site um who uh, uh i didn't know at the time but when i read the post they blew my mind um you know they just it just opened up a whole new way of thinking for me about you know rethinking the role of compliance the role of people um know systems thinking and then yeah you start to read posts by daniel by uh, zinta by um you know then steve shirach and you know obviously sydney decker posts on there sometimes and, and so i i you know was just a reader of the site um but you know i was also posting my own blog separately uh to that and i just reached out to daniel and i can't remember what the context was for that and we had a conversation and he asked if I would contribute to the site. So that's kind of what got me contributing to it because I guess he'd seen some of my posts on my own personal blog at that time. Um, and so I started contributing. Daniel and I pretty much became fast friends um, and we're still really close to this day. Uh, and you know, shortly, maybe towards the end of 2014, 2015, I can't remember exactly when Daniel decided he wanted to start moving away from the site and wanted to give it to someone and so he gave it to gave it to me um and so I took it over around that time and I've been running it since I'm and I'm in my process of transferring out and Mm -hmm. passing the torch onto someone else but uh that's that's where we're at right now so it's a great site I mean the site it I I love it because it it's not just my my it's not my baby I didn't make it it's Mm -hmm it's something that really transformed my way of thinking and so um yeah that's that's how I I sort of came along to where I'm at if that makes sense. Mm.
0: It's, a, it's a good it's a it is a fascinating website and it's a it's such a good idea isn't it it's like a it's like a smorgasbord of loads of different it's like a buffet of loads of different people's content which is what I like about it like yeah. you know, I always get um i well i i come across the other day on on spotify like podcast playlist i was and it reminded me of that web of your website John, mm. you know safety differently because i thought sometimes sometimes i'm in the mood to listen to one person or one podcast all the time but sometimes i want to mix it up and see different uh, opinions and challenge each other and stuff like that and you go from it depends what mood you're in but you Go from, I don't know, let's do a safety one. You're going to go from me over to uh safety podcast with um, Richard Collins, and then you go over to um the two gentlemen we were talking about just before Safety of Work, their new podcast. Um, you know, and it would just be interesting to see different styles. You got Sunny Go Power as well, and that would be really interesting to see if you had that podcast. And that your what you know, Safety Differently website is that in a nutshell, isn't it? It was mm. kind of the the beginnings of that, and um, I do like it, it's interesting. No,
1: I appreciate that perspective. I've never thought of it like that uh, from that kind of playlist-ish perspective. Um, but yeah, you're right, and that's, that's one of the things I loved about it, and you know, we, we may talk about this more, you know, it's sort of, after a while, safety differently sort of became a thing that had its own definition, but when I first came upon it in 2013, 2014, it didn't really have a clear definition. Okay. Um, it sort of was just a a, a place to explore, you know. it's like, mm-hmm. hey, here's a place where you that. have to fall into the normal ways that here's how you're supposed to think if you're a safety person, you know. It's like, no, let's let's challenge that. Let's let's. What if we didn't know how to practice safety? How would if we had to start all over again with zero knowledge? What would we look at? And that was what the site it, it was. And, and and I think it's it's mm-hmm. going to move. You know, continue to move in that direction or move back to that direction in some ways um, you actually if, if some people if they look deep enough into the site the daniel posted a email conversation between him and myself where we were talking about kind of this topic like how safety differently was you know wasn't really a thing yet but maybe it was going to become a thing and then when it becomes the thing what's that going to mean and you know and then it's sort of it becomes this like self uh, contradicting thing where you know we talk about non compliance, but you have to comply with safety differently because uh, that's the way to do it. You know? Yeah,
0: that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's quite funny.
1: But uh so we didn't. We never really wanted it to be just one thing. We wanted it to be like you said, kind of like a playlist. I like that.
0: Yeah, mm. that's quite funny actually. I'm I'm going to go look for that, that email conversation. I'll send, I'll send you- I'm going to have a look for that. that. That is yeah. That'd be an interesting. Really, like you say, is that. Like, Safety differently, you know, in its fundamental crux is, is kind of like challenge the norm, move away from that, you know, try and be non-compliant. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the word compliant, but like, you yeah, know, yeah. try and move away from your, from, from, from that kind of one set mind of compliance. But then do you end up going down that rabbit hole of being compliant to safety differently? That yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it, isn't it?
1: We titled the post safety differently differently. Because we thought like, maybe <laughs> one day we'd have to start the safety differently, differently. Safe, <laughs> yeah. get people to think outside of that box.
0: Oh, that's a great point. So, yeah. for for those of us listening that, that don't know what safety differently is and how that came about, like as a as a concept, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction to that?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, so, safety differently, I, I mean, I guess I'll preface it by saying it, it's, it can be slightly different things to different people, but I'll talk about my understanding of it, my conception of it. Yeah. So, it did come about, I believe, through conversations between Sidney Decker and Daniel Hummerdahl. Uh, Daniel used to be a student of Sidney Decker's, and um, and through their conversations, just this idea of challenging safety came up, and um, Daniel told me the story one time uh, in an email subject title sydney had safety differently i believe with a question mark in it you know and that just kind of got people and them both Whoa, well this is interesting and that sort of led to the site. Um, and so since then it's sort of you know he, he started the site and got people thinking and into the, the kind of the conversation on the site and you'll even see that in that post i mentioned earlier between daniel and i sort of coalesces around three fundamental principles um, but i, I want to kind of preface it by saying uh, safety differently, even, even if we talk about it as a thing, as a kind of a theory or a model unto itself, is more a way of thinking than an actual tool, you know? And so I, I sort of set it, I put it separate to things like, you know, behavior-based safety or a management system. Those to me are a thing that's like a tool, you know, or something that you can implement in an organization. Safety differently is not so much a thing that you can implement. It's more of a, a mindset or a worldview. view. Um, and, and you'll see that when you look at the principles, because none of them tell you what to do. They just tell you a different way to see something that we see every day. Um, and so the first principle speaks to how do we define safety, right? And so um, since it's safety differently, it's sometimes easier to present it as a contrast and obviously you know before i'll kind of preempt all the comments that you'll get on the podcast and say well all contrasts are wrong right it's never <laughs> black and white
0: um, you but try and preempt content content uh, blah, 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 comments you'll you'll be there all day yeah, yeah it's, like it's a dangerous happen. road
1: yeah exactly um uh, But, uh, you know, so traditionally, though, and I actually feel pretty strongly about this, that this is true, even though a lot of people will disagree. um, I don't see evidence that it's not true. uh, Lots of evidence that it's true. Safety traditionally, and even today, is fundamentally built around the idea that we are about the prevention of negatives. We want to eliminate bad stuff, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so whether that's accidents is the traditional, you know, thing, but, you know, some people expand beyond that and say, Hey, no, we don't want to just focus on accidents. We want to focus on leading stuff, which then usually is okay. We don't want errors or, you know, we don't want, uh, inattention or something like that. It's usually framed around what we don't want, or, you know, kind of the, uh, uh, kind of the, I, I typically what I see is the most, I don't like the word enlightened because it sounds a bit you know, pompous, but um, I don't know. I can't think of a better one right now. Uh, Definition of safety is uh, freedom from unacceptable risk, which again is just telling us what we don't want, right? We really just don't want unacceptable risk. We put the word freedom in front of it to make it sound like something we want, but really it's, we just, we don't want that, right? Um, And so safety differently though says, well, that's not really safety though. You know, not, you know, getting what you Get Not getting what you don't want, it's really even hard to say, uh, doesn't necessarily get you what you want. Um, and, and, you know, we sort of say that that fundamentally creates a conflict in the organization because the rest of the organization is structured around getting what you want, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's quality or productivity, right? Or, you know, employee engagement or, you know, all these things that are, here's the things that we want to have in the organization. Whereas safety is like, yeah, we well, don't care about all that stuff. We just know what we don't want you know Um, and so we, we say you know let's change the definition of safety and let's define it by what we want let's focus on creating a safety mindset which then leads to practice that helps us get those things and so the way I define safety is it's, it's in line with actually what some people will know as safety one and safety two. Um, in safety two, the definition of safety is the capacity to be successful in varying conditions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So as we do this job, as conditions change over time, we can keep doing it successfully in a sustainable way. Right? We can feel confident that we have provided the things that we need to sustainably get work done. And so that's the first tenet. The second tenet is about people. So what's the role of people? So if that's what we want in safety, what what, what role do people play? Well, traditionally, again, and a lot of people disagree with me, but man, it's, it's pretty compelling. Okay, uh, We see people as the problem. They are mm-hmm. the problem that we have to control or eliminate. Yeah. Um, and so we can't trust them. And, you know, even some people who, who are like, yes, you know, we don't do that. We don't blame the workers. We blame management. Well, that's just people being the problem, just in a different part of the organization. Yeah. Um, Safety Differently, though, says that, well, no, people aren't the problem. They're the solution. Now, this doesn't mean that people are perfect. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying, though, and what what's really, I think, compelling about this argument that we're making and I don't want to go too much into the weeds unless you really want to get into it, but um, it's a, what this tenant is really telling us is that the problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. And if organizations are complex, the only way to deal with complexity is creative problem solving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what things in nature are the best creative problem solvers? People. Right. There's you know, people have the ability to adapt to a wide range of circumstances and a wide range of conditions. That's why we're the most successful species on Earth and we can live anywhere, you know, on Earth. Right. Because we have found ways to adapt and solve these problems. And so if we can, as an organization, can tap into that potential of people to creatively problem solve, we can not only deal with the issues that we have, but create new potential. In the organization to achieve success in that sustainable way so that's the second tenet the third tenet is and this is where I sort of you know a lot of people will say it's you know it's uh, uh, rather than a bureaucratic accountability it's an ethical responsibility um, and I'll explain that but I have a slightly different take on it so people will typically uh, say well safety is about you know, where do we focus? Well, we focus on bureaucratic accountability. up. That's usually how safety is designed in organizations. We do what we do because the regulator tells us that's what we need to do or that's what corporate tells us we need to do. So it's a bureaucracy that we create and we have to report up to that bureaucracy. And There's a lot of accountability in it. And that's true. Um, and, you know, the kind of slant to that, that a lot of people will say, well, no, we should be doing safety because it's an ethical responsibility. Um, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, right? It's the right thing to do. The, the reason why I have a slightly different take on it is that doesn't sound very different to me. That just sounds like the right thing to do, <laughs> you know? Um, to me, I think really what that tenant is trying to tell us, and so I say it in a different way, is rather than focusing on, you know, uh, compliance or even things just like hazards, I think we should be focusing on work. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people get work done and what can we do to support work in organizations? For, an, for a profession that is so wrapped around and, and influential over and influenced by work, we know very little about what people do when they do work. We know about what accidents, you know, and what causes accidents and all that kind of stuff, but we don't know what it takes to get work done on a daily basis. And so to me, safety differently really tells us, no, we need to start understanding what's happening the overwhelming majority of the time when nothing bad is happening. What do people have to overcome in order to do their work? And if we can understand that, you can start to not only fix some of the issues, but even predict problems coming into the future and find new opportunities for new potential uh, You know, to be more and more successful. So the three tenants, again, as I see them are Safety is the presence of positives, right? A capacity to be successful. People are the solution, and we should be focusing on work. Right, that should be our primary focus. So that's basically safety differently, as I understand it.
0: I love that. It just—it's so interesting to, like, you know, I've read loads about safety differently, but then to to hear you kind of talk it from your point of view, it's so. It's so interesting i do you know what like the people are the solution is something i've said for a long time
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh change the narrative is certainly something i say all the time the narrative around safety is negative 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 we need to talk about you know it was, it, a risk assessment is not and i always i always try to um i'm not an overly academic person so when i kind of explain things it's always as simple as possible because the only way i learn so yeah. i try and do it like that. So you know, like, a risk assessment for me is not is not how, what's wrong with this is how can we do what we need to do what what we need to do as a business is i don't know sell this product okay how can we sell this product without hurting anybody how much risk are we willing to take to sell this to do this and and it's interesting to um i was listening to something about ruth denier there she's a uh, head of i think head of safety or head of risk i think for itv um and she was talking there, doing loads of work about kind of redesigning how they do risk assessments. Um, mm. and she was putting just on the wall, you know, what risk, what level of risk are you willing to accept? So they're talking about like risk appetite and stuff like that. She put fatality, uh, lost limb, and then you kind of work your way around. And obviously none of the CEOs and board of directors said fatality, but then she said, well, but you're sending a reporter into Iraq where fatality is actually quite possible and, yeah. and if you look at it you look at the you know you've got those horror stories and things like that and I just and listening to a speaker by now I was like wow that's a really good way of just kind of putting it into into context and making it real simple and asking those simple questions that actually you maybe you do need to accept that something could go wrong but that but if you change the narrative to how can we do this as safe as possible you're going to create a great business in mm-hmm. in, in essence what. Well, I mean, there was so much you said there. I, I was thinking, should, I, I feel like I should be taking notes because there's so much I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's and, good. and I think ah, there is so much you want to talk about. Let, let's 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 stick with this safety safety differently. You mentioned safety one, safety two. You mentioned new view, old view. So we've got safety differently, safety one, safety two, new view, old view. We could carry on compliance um behavioral based safety yeah you could go yeah hops nudge theory um culture based safety i heard a few months back so we've got 10 just off the top of our heads yeah um and and actually just you know we were talking about it just before we press record weren't we about um you know other people discussing that um behavioral based safety is potentially nonsense and and things like that and and like I say, I'm a bit on the fence. I think there's no, there's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution, uh-huh. uh, I think. So how how does a business kind of uh, pick one of those things? You know, there's so much. How do we actually, you know, like my grandma always says, you can't see the wood for the trees. And, and it's kind of like that. There's so many solutions here. It's like, oh, which one's right for me? Yeah. You end up going down that rabbit hole like you did, you know, with book after book after book because you get to the back and it says, here's another 50 books. Yeah. You get that one of those books, there's another 50 books. And yeah. I'm exactly like you. I've got a whole stack of books behind me. <laughs> and I'm still none the wiser. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, you said something I think is really profound. Um, in that, you know, part of the problem is that we think that, there is one solution and as much as it's so weird to me how we we have these tropes in safety and in organizations in general but in safety in particular um where we say oh there's no silver bullet everybody says that but we act like that's true right um we 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 go and we look for oh i i have this problem let me go find the solution to it
0: yeah
1: that's the silver bullet you're looking for (laughs) that's what you're looking for um and and you know it's 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 really just where we decide to draw the line in terms of the scale we say well there's no silver bullet at the organizational level but there's a silver bullet for this you know well you know that now we're just kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth and it's kind of arbitrary so to me the the really the the way to weed through all of this is to take a step back and say oh you know all of these things are in some ways a solution or a a tool or, you know, some, some sort of, uh, something we can implement something that we're trying to solve a problem or take advantage of an opportunity that begs a really important question. What problem are we trying to solve? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what, what exactly are we trying to do? And have we taken the time to really dive into that problem and understand it oftentimes, You know, actually, I was reading an article by Daniel um, on on a different uh, website uh, where he was posting how there's a lot of times in kind of management consulting practice where people will say, well, you want to create a problem statement and you want it to be succinct and, you know, really concise, you're really small. And sometimes that actually makes things worse. That feeds into silver bullet thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And his argument was, no, sometimes we need to take a step back and expand the problem Problem, yeah. understanding of the problem so that that helps us know okay for this particular case this solution will be best because i'm a i'm a big believer that um there's no real i mean all theories even ones that are panned to this day you know heinrich i'm no f- real fan of heinrich but heinrich's beliefs and theories and i i, I assume most people know wouldn't who's listening know Heinrich is but just in case he was a, a researcher in the early 20th century who came up with theories like the you know the pyramid and um, his theory about 88 percent of accidents were caused by unsafe facts um, those theories are true in certain circumstances or contexts and it's on us to figure out a what those circumstances and contexts are and B does that apply to our situation now I Personally, we'll believe when we do that, we'll find that most of those theories are no longer very applicable, or maybe never were applicable to most circumstances organizations will face. But still, if we go and do the work, and we define the problem well, and we know what the tools are, I mean, how many safety people get upset when a worker uses the wrong tool, and we say, well, that's not the right tool for the job. But we don't ever take the time to go and look at, okay, what's this tool actually designed for? You know, like root cause analysis is a commonly used accident investigation tool, but it was not really designed for that. It was designed for understanding equipment failures. And since then, we've sort of tacked on other stuff to it to make it work for people. But we do we t- ever take the time to take a step back and say, wait, is this the right tool for this job? You know, and I think we need to do a lot more of that. And that's what I think will help us wade through some of the, okay, which, which perspective, which tool... You know, BBS or Hop or whatever will help me here.
0: I think there was something you said earlier as well around like people being unbelievably good problem solvers which some some people as safety professionals might say yeah that's the problem um, you know <laughs> they they're finding like safety slowing them down or whatever and, and and bear with me i'll get to the point of this and the, so they cut the corner or they use the wrong tool and 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 when you said the tool it brought me back to my first job in safety and um we had an explosive atmosphere and because it, it was an explosive atmosphere we had brass tools um, so that there was no, we were we were juicing like the of sparks, yeah. So if you have got like a uh, another tool, you could hit it off a, off a, a nut or a bolt and you create a spark. So you get the brass tool. Problem with brass is it's soft as butter, really, yeah. well, so, to some of these screws uh, and bead bolts. So we would go down and yet again they've, they've stopped using the brass tool uh, that cost us loads of money and they're using these other tools and, and you're just like why are well, you not using a brass tool we get them another brass tool and it would just be this perpetual cycle of annoyance and I was only like 20 at the, something at the time and I'm already grey you know because of this tool <laughs> and they just keep going and going and then we finally get to the point right Let let's just sit down and have a sensible conversation about and it yeah as a young safety professional it took us a long time to get to the point where let's just ask why why are you not using this tool and i finally got like a quite a reasonable operator that didn't just bite my head off and um and we got the tool and and he showed me that you put it on a bolt and you move it and it just chews away so they can't do their job because they're great problem solvers he just went right get rid of that get another tool they were bringing their own in because they're solving a problem Um, And and, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we focus on. on My my point is that we focus on the next system that's going to fix everything like behavioral based safety, um, hop, nudge, whatever. And what we're not doing is looking at the system we've already got, which is a collection of phenomenally minded people that know their job inside out, that probably have the solution for that one single problem. And, and, and we're looking for a system instead of just having a conversation. I, and that's just my opinion. No, absolutely. Yeah. Opinion.
1: I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, you know, um, I think Rosa Carrillo is, is a really big leader in this sort of mindset of like, well, you know, a lot of this boils down to the conversations and the relationships that we have in the organization. And to me, um, the future of the safety profession is not in building our technical competence. It's in building our relational competence and our ability to ask good questions and relate to people. It just blows my mind that I work in a profession where I get paid to tell people to do jobs that I've never done before. Right? That's insane. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I have no real ex- understanding or experience with it. You know? And so... Um, So to me, that means I don't, I shouldn't be telling people what to do. I should be asking them what's going on. And, you know, certainly I have knowledge and expertise to bring to the table. I, you know, in like risk analysis and human factors and things of that nature, but I don't know about, you know, what it takes to turn a bolt, you know, in a particular, you know, chemical plant, right. They know that. And so we, you know, we need to be able to get good at drawing that information out of people, you know? And so, uh, Because, you know, kind of going back to, you know, we were talking about those tenants, I'm a big believer, and I think what you just described is perfect, you know? Where work is difficult, that's where you're gonna find problems, Mm -hmm. right? And that's like, that is the essence of, you know, what people talk about, in my opinion, with safety differently. If we can identify and deal with those places where work is difficult, where people have to overcome problems to get work done, you're not only going to deal with a lot of safety issues, but you're also going to deal with a lot of productivity and quality issues as well.
0: Yeah,
1: right. And that's that's the ball game right there.
0: Yeah, I think we spoke about this on our prep on our on a conversation before. But I'm reading a book at the moment um, by uh, Matthew Syed, who's be, you know become quite you know big and very popular nowadays. And um, and his new book, um, Rebel Ideas, talks all about diversity of mindset and people, right? So you've got your base level of diversity with like ethnic minorities and religion and stuff like that. But what he was, what this kind of, and I'm only halfway through the book, but the, the, what I get from it so far is that with those different ethnic minorities, cultures, et cetera, comes a different way of thinking. And the examples you give, which I've probably said on every podcast now. So any kind of loyal listeners probably got, here he goes with a fish tank example. But uh-huh. he, he talks in this thing about in this book about he got some Americans and some Japanese people to look at a fish tank. And the the Japanese people, when they were asked to describe it, they described the background, the grass, the sand, the rocks, etc. They didn't really mention the fish. When they asked the Americans to to describe it, they described the fish, they didn't really describe the background So if you only employ Americans, you only ever see the fish mm. If you only employ Japanese people, you only ever see the tank But if you employ the two, um, you see the whole tank and the fish and everything and then, and then I was thinking, when I'm reading this stuff, I'm trying to think How does that apply to our business? And then I think, and and the point of where I'm trying to get to is that I don't think there was ever a problem with the original system, because when we were always taught to do risk assessments, you were always told to do it as a team. It was never intended to be one person doing it. It was always meant to be the machine operator, the team leader, the manager, the safety rep, whoever, hey, screw it, let's go get someone from customer services as well, you know, so they just don't know the machine, but they've got a completely different way of thinking all together having a conversation that's all the risk assessment supposed to be conversation about the risk of the job and how we can do what we need to do and then the law even says, well the UK law even says you know come up with something that's reasonable and practicable to be able to do what you need to do but as safe as possible mm. and the point here is that I think we've gone down a route and we don't get me wrong the law and all the systems that we've got at the moment the compliance-based systems that we've got have got us to a great place, especially in the UK. You know, we're we're only killing 130 people a year up to 140. Oh, well done. You know, if you were a family of that 130, I'm sure you wouldn't think it was that good. But before I get on my soapbox, um, Mm. the point here is that, you know, we have to acknowledge we've done an amazing job. We're not sending kids up chimneys anymore. Amazing. But we're looking for this new system, behaviour-based safety, hop, whatever, to take us to the next place forward. And I just think, oh, hang on a minute. I think we've already got that system it, it's in our people it's in our current law that's very very uh flexible i think in my opinion um a lot of people call it gray i just think it's flexible um but we're just not using the people that we've got and i suppose it's very similar to the example i gave earlier um but i just think everything's there right in front of us the law's not the problem the the the, the safety people are not the problem it's businesses being lazy i think because The way I'm talking about doing safety is slow and hard, and you've got to talk to people, and people are a pain in the arse sometimes. You've got to go talk to Bob. Bob's just a grumpy old man who doesn't want to be here. And, you know, you've got to talk to Sheila, and Sheila's, you know, had a bad day yesterday, so she's going to be horrible, and it's just awkward. Especially in England, we've got this, you know, up a lip. We don't like talking to each other. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I just, it frustrates me sometimes. I just think, I think the answer's right in front of you.
1: Yeah, no, I I hear you, I think, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I I really believe that if, you know, if we're talking about, you know, hop or safety differently as a thing, uh, or safety too, in particular, that they're not things that replace, Mm -hmm. they're mindsets that we bring to the table, right? Mm -hmm. So when we do a risk assessment, we're not going to stop doing them because, A, you got to, right? You don't have a choice um, unless you want to break the law. Um, (laughs) B, uh, you know, there's a good reason to do them and they add value. We just want to make sure that they are adding value. And so we need to do that in the right way or we should stop doing it. You know, doing safety for the sake of safety is stupid. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's a huge waste. And so uh, A, we're not, you know, doing the organization any favors and i don't think we're really saving any lives if we're not making sure that we add value and so to me i think you're you're totally right you know so that comes back to that mindset of let's take a step back let's understand what are we trying to do and what are the tools and, and things that are out there that help us do that but sorry those are my dogs They're really, they really have an opinion on this matter um but, <laughs> but um yeah i think i yeah I, I agree you know and 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 yeah, there was a kind of a debate even within Safety Differently. There's even a, a few posts or, to that nature um, about, uh, you know, does safe, you know, do you do you know, like there are some people who, who will say, OK, you start with you do compliance first and then you do safety differently after that. And and my point was like, no, I think safety differently should help us be compliant. When we do compliance, we should do it with a safety differently mindset. So it's not like safety differently is pushing compliance or it's one or the other it's we can do it all because a lot of these things are already like you said already there i mean one of the kind of criticisms i I hear a lot for all these newer ideas is that oh this is not new um and that's 100 percent correct (laughs) i I agree with that you know um there's no argument here that's why we didn't call it safety new uh you know (laughs) and so uh You know the fact that that's not new actually to me is evidence for why it's a good idea. Because if people hadn't been thinking like yourself, if you hadn't like when you were 20 years old had just on your own, you know, a smart person recognized, I should probably go talk to the workers. You know, (laughs) if people weren't figuring this out on their own, that means it's probably not based in reality. Mm. You know, and so yeah, let's let's get you know to me. When people talk about what's the first step in doing safety differently, it's get into your organization and figure out what's going on. You know, it's not go to a conference and find the new, latest, greatest practice. It's get in your organization, and start figuring out what what's actually happening, and how can we support that? Make it make the good stuff happen more. Make the stuff that we don't like happen less.
0: Yeah, I think it feels like it's kind of like contradictory to like the, the human mindset especially maybe in the western world but it's kind of like we need like when you were saying there do we do compliance first and then we do safety differently or is it safety differently first and then compliance and then we'll do safety too after that it's like what what we need this structure to everything don't we i think that's a problem we need to be told um right do this step one step two it's it's kind of like ikea for business you know when you you Mm -hmm. get your flat Mm pack furniture and and it was kind of reminiscent of like You know, since we've had Grenfell in the UK and and I work quite heavily in fire, but we go to um, so many conferences and and there's loads of businesses there that are housing, hotels, whatever, you know, building owners. And they're all all kind of kicking up and moaning, being like, when's the law going to change and make this better for us and, you know, make our buildings safe by telling us what to do. And, and i got so frustrated at one of these conferences that i kind of put my hand up and just said it's not really a question for the panel it's a question for the room like does everyone agree that they're not comfortable with the risk of their property and they're wait they're waiting around for the law to tell them what to do and pretty much everyone nodded their head or said yes and and i was like well the law currently enables you to do what you need to do and it says if you're not if you're not accepting that risk, if that risk is not comfortable for you, then that means your risk assessment is not good enough. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're assessing that risk and you've gone, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, do more mm. then. Stop waiting mm. around for the law. And, and then, but then the flip side is we, we want to be told what to do in a, in a senior management role because I think it makes us feel comfortable. But then on the shop floor, we fight against being told what to do. And I find it so interesting. It's kind of like human dynamics. And I'm not a psychologist, but I just find it f- fascinating that if you were to go to a machine operator, they hate having, or some people hate yeah. having those procedures and being told step one, step two, because they've, they're problem solvers. They find a better way to do it. Actually, if I do step one and five together, the machine goes quicker. And you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but then when we get to senior management, we get that security blanket of mm. guidance the consultants the paperwork telling us what to do mm. i just find it so weird when do we go through that transition it's interesting yeah.
1: that's very interesting and you know certainly i can think of some like theories as to why the one that pops into my head most actually and this is another area that i think we need to focus on more in safety is power differentials okay um, so because if you think about it the people you know so a, a fundamental motivation for human beings is autonomy. I want to be able to have control of my environment and exercise my, you know, agency, my ability to do something. Um, and you know, this is why people put stickers on their hard hats, right? I mean, that's, it's like, Hey, here I am. I exist. This is me. You know, it's like us peeing on the tree, like a dog, you know, uh, I exist. I, this is mine. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I think it's actually quite good. You see that also. I Q- like
0: it. We don't do that in America. You you, you won't. You don't. Oh, sorry. In the UK, you don't see that. People You're putting stickers hard- on hats. Oh, really? No. Oh, no. It's, 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 America. Never see it. I think. Well, I've seen a few people wearing hard hats backwards. That's how we rebel. Okay. Um, but yeah. I like the sticker thing. I was thinking that the other day. Actually, I saw something on LinkedIn of this guy, and he's had a hard hat covered in stickers. And I was like, that looks pretty cool, man.
1: Yeah, they do that, man. It's a it's a thing out here. But um, so, if if you think about it, the people at the bottom of the organization are, on average, going to have less power, mm-hmm. right? And so, if we come in and try to tell them, you know, here's the way I want you to do your job, well, they're, they're already in some ways so under control, <laughs> you know, on what when they can show up, what they have to wear in many situations. Where the people at the top often don't have that. I mean, yeah, maybe you, there's a there's a dress code, but you can choose. Whereas, yeah. you know, normally, no, you got to put on a jumpsuit. and It's got to be this color, and it's got to have this patch, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, we come along and say, no, and then you have to do the work this way. Well, there would be a natural pushback then, you know. Whereas the people at the top, they, you know, they have all the power in the world. They can do what they want, you know. And so they're not as uh, threatened by more control put on them in some ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know, this is me just kind of thinking out loud, but that's one potential explanation. But to me, that this is stuff I think we should be talking about in organizations and in safety about, okay, how does power actually influence people? Because there is a ton of research in sociology that those things do have real effects on people, mm-hmm. you know, both in terms of how they behave and even health effects and things of that nature. But we don't really focus on that in safety, and I feel like that's some untapped resources.
0: Mm. yeah the whole industry is set up to that compliance mindset that I am just I'm just looking at my questions and just thinking the questions I wrote are crap and this conversation we're having is really good so (laughs) I'm not too bothered that we're not covering any of the questions I've asked (laughs) Um, but I I do think that the whole industry is set up to this over here in the UK especially but um, I don't know I couldn't speak for what it's like over there but it's set up for that compliance mindset, you know, our qualifications that we, we would get, how we learn um, about health and safety. It's all about what does the law say? And I was actually talking to um, another health and safety professional in the UK, and we're going to do a podcast all about training. And he was saying something that for me just absolutely resonated when he goes and sees somebody's training presentation, death by PowerPoint classic, and you've got 15 slides on the health and safety at work act first. And it's People, employees don't give a shit about what section one says and section two says. They want to know about their job, how it applies. And, you know, I try to use training rooms as a forum more about anything anything else. I mean, there is a, I don't want to say expert, but the person that knows a little bit more than them um, about one specific thing. But they're the experts in their own field, in their own thing. And, and, and what you were saying there about that kind of, what did you call it, the power difference? Power differentials. Power differential, and and I always find it interesting over here in the UK because we've had Grenfell, we've got um, we've got a lot of nervous people around fire safety. People who manage buildings are very nervous. Um, so I'm traveling around the country at the moment doing loads of fire safety training and i'm always saying to these these um people who are like housing managers or you know similar to like a hotel manager or something like that it's that kind of role and i say Mm -hmm. do you ever do you ever ask your fire risk assessor like why why he's saying you need something so fire assessor comes in and says need a flame retardant notice board in the corridor do you say why he said oh no because he's the expert and i just think it's fascinating that do you know what? If I When I was in manufacturing, if I went down and said, right, well, lads, you need to wear some gloves, they'd all be like, why? What are mm. you on about? Why do you have to wear gloves? But we seem to have this flip now where we're taking people's word for granted. Um, we're taking, not, not granted, sorry, gospel. We're taking the experts for gospel. Now, trust me, I've met a lot of risk assessors that they're not all experts. Um, yeah. but, but they know a lot about one subject, fire safety, if they're a fire, fire risk assessor. But, the people that work there know about the customers in the building. They know about the building. They know about the maintenance. They know about the contractors. I said, there's only one person in that conversation that's the expert, and that's you, the housing manager or the hotel manager or whatever, not the risk assessor.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And we, we seem to have gone through a flip, and it reminds me of, um, I was reading, what was I reading? I think it was one of Andrew Shalman's books a while ago, actually, and he talked about um, heuristics, um, which I read as like, Anchors in your brain, um, so you can get past anchors, current anchors, and I don't know future anchors. I can't remember there were three types. And mm. and I think with fire safety, we've got Grenfell anchored in our brain um, that mm. we want to be told what to do because we're scared. We're scared of liability, moral and and legal. Um, mm. So we want to be told what to do. The risk assessors don't want to tell you what to do because they're just as scared about the liability. So they'll write grey comments like, this fire door may be a fire door. It may not be a fire door. And you're just like, and I'm sitting there. What do you want me to do? You want me to make the decision? And, and, and it's like, it's so frustrating. But we seem to have a flip in that power differential. And I think it's interesting what you said. Definitely think that is true. But we've definitely had a flip over here.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. And I think... You know that's a a fascinating set of events, and there was something I was going to say around that, but it flew away. But that's all right. Um, No, I horrible
0: when that happens. (laughs) (laughs) uh, No,
1: but I think you're totally right in that. um, So there's a few things that jumped out at me in that. You know, so number one, taking everything that the individual says as gospel, because in safety we don't. It's, it's weird for us, someone to ask the question like you said for them to ask. Okay, why? Yeah. Where's the evidence that putting a sign there actually helps? Yeah. Is there evidence? Like, yeah. you know, the average safety person in the United States, I don't know how it is in the UK or anywhere else, but would not be able to answer that question. They just, they wouldn't even know how to begin to answer that question outside of going to our regulator's website and hoping that there's something there, you know? <laughs>
0: Um, Sub paragraph um, two, line five, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know,
1: they don't even, they're not even aware that there's, there's research that's done on these things. And, you know, even if they were aware of it, they don't know how to access it or read it. And that's, I think that's something we need to get really better at as a profession is equipping safety professionals to identify, access, and interpret evidence. Um, and research you know so it doesn't I don't want academics that's not what I'm saying I'm just saying you know when I tell someone hey you should do this I better have a really good reason to do it if your doctor just said hey you know you should take this pill why well I think it's a good idea Uh, you know Um, no there's evidence that the doctor can point to well you know in these case studies this improved survivability by this percent you know like they can show you that Um, I think we need to get way better at that and then to your point about like that person's the expert putting a sign up i mean what's the point of a sign it's to communicate something and influence behavior who's going to have the most knowledge about whether that sign is actually going to be influential to those people in that building mm-hmm. the the, the building the owner, right the risk assessor sign, right i mean so like if i'm in an organization i'm telling you know uh the welders you know, okay, or I, I was just dealing with an organization, they wanted us to come in and write up all their procedures and how their people can do safe work tasks. And I was like, A, I don't know how to do all those tasks. Uh, but B, like, let's say I knew, like I knew the right way to do those tasks. Um, writing a procedure and giving it to your employees and saying you do it this way, it's not gonna be a high degree of likelihood they're gonna do it that way. No. Why? Because your organization's different right so your organization is your organization and every organization is unique in some way shape or form so we have to spend some time to understanding that uniqueness mm. um and and oftentimes we don't we just take it for granted that you know oh safety safety you don't question it you know it's mm. sacrosanct what The sage person knows why would you ask the sage per- person questions don't ask me i'm not a safety person you know that's yeah. it, it's kind of weird and i think yeah. it's unfortunate.
0: yeah we I, I don't know i find in in the uk we're, we're stuck in we're stuck in this kind of compliance expert mindset where we're we're either waiting for the law or or some kind of expert to tell us what to do, and 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 I work mostly in fire at the moment, so maybe it'll be different in other industries, and maybe some industries are a bit further ahead than others. I, I don't know, but. I just mm. find we're stuck in this. I'm just seeing roles, you know, appear, new job titles appear left, right, and center, that head of compliance, head of compliance, and compliance officer. And I'm like, compliance officer? Oh, I thought we stopped using the word officer about 20 years ago. Come on, get with the times. And it's like, all that tells me compliance, you know, what's compliant for me is doing as you're told. What's an officer? Somebody that tells you you're not doing as you're told and you're gonna slap you on the wrist. and and it's like it's all it's a horrible place to work and i feel like we're taking a step back i feel like we're we're slowly going backwards but then on the flip side as we talk right now there's eastbourne hotel in in the uk it is on fire it's absolutely huge fire in on on the coast in eastbourne and and it's like what what have we got to do to start people listening? if it takes legislative change then let's do the legislative change but it's It's frustrating when uh, you're talking to business owners and being like, you have the power to do this. Don't wait for that security blanket. Create the security blanket for yourself. You know, if you want to install sprinklers, then go and bloody install them. Yeah. Yeah. We're just sitting around waiting for somebody to to tell us what to do. That's how I feel. That, that is based on no research so don't ask me don't ask me what you said a second ago like yeah. or what's the research for that james because yeah. i don't have an answer
1: <laughs> well i mean it's based on your experience and i mean it certainly resonates with some of my experience as well um and i would i would say that um to me at least it uh we, we it's sort of you know I, one of the things that i'm a big believer in is systems thinking and And whenever you have a system that's delivering bad outcomes, it's never the result of one thing. It's always an interaction amongst multiple things. Um, And so trying to think about, okay, what's the system that's influencing that sort of outcome of people just deferring, you know, to others and kind of, in a way, removing their power and, Mm -hmm. you know, like just giving it away. I don't have that ability. Well, you do, you just, you're choosing not to exercise it um, is I think, there's a couple things you know partly it's a mind partly it's a mindset but it's also partly when we you know this is one of the unintended consequences of creating a safety profession and a safety regulatory structure or governance structure that's based on legislation and liability and law and things like that because then we sort of create the idea that okay well, safety is something that I'm told to do or forced to do. It's not something that I inherently do on my own. And you can sort of begin to develop the idea that I don't have the power to do it on my own because I have to be forced to do it. It becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in some situations. And there is some evidence, not in safety that I'm aware of, but there is some evidence that those sorts of things do happen in other contexts um, where, you know, you, you kind of get this power self-fulfilling prophecy where people sort of just give up their agency and wipe their hands of it even though they totally have the ability um, you know and so it's like kind of a concept that I've read about recently that's been sort of fascinating to me it's, you, it's one you want to be careful with because if you go too far you can you know go into some places where you end up removing accountability you know other people who need it but this idea of complicity if you're in a situation, in as an organization, where you're getting a bad outcome, you know, and you see all these people around you not doing what they should be doing, if you're a part of that system, you are in some way contributing to that outcome, yeah. in some way, shape, or form, right? So that seems to me, that in that equation, the thing I have the most power over is myself, and so if I see a bad outcome, step one: how am I contributing? To this thing that I don't like, and how can I make that stop happening? So I do something else to at least say, okay, at least I'm not contributing to it anymore. And sometimes even doing nothing is contributing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as leaders, we tell this all the time if you walk by the bad thing, you accept the bad thing. You know, as something that is unacceptable, if you walk by it and don't do anything, it's, it's acceptable now. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true in organizations. If these bad things keep happening, um or you know if we're waiting for the regulators to tell us what to do and they're not telling us what to do well we're contributing to that in some way you know mm. so we, sh- we should step one change you know change yourself and then other things start to change after that
0: mm. i think i think health and safety professionals just start asking themselves that question and we might start improving our industry a lot and i think that reminds me of um uh, Something I listened to was Simon Sinek, he talks all about like leadership, but he gives an example and I'm gonna butcher this example but he, <laughs> he uses the example of like doctors in the, I don't know, it was like in the medieval times or whatever and um, they were, there ha- were loads of pregnant ladies were like dying basically and um, and the doctors were doing the research on the cadavers in the morning And delivering the babies in the afternoon and not washing their hands
1: oh wow so
0: the disease that the pregnant lady was ladies were dying from was because of them and the point the story i mean like i said i've butchered it um if you want to hear it properly told go on youtube and have a look but it he says you've got to ask yourself are you the problem are you the problem? Because somebody worked it out apparently in this story. Somebody worked it out, went to all the doctors, and said, "You're the problem, guys. You need to start washing your hands." And they were all like, "Shut up!" And it was like a year later or whatever that they finally went, "Oh shit, I think we're the problem." <laughs> um,
1: and yeah. I, and I think
0: health and safety professionals, you know, do have to really. Ask that question: Is am I creating some of these problems, or at least contributing to them? You know, well, I don't know about in America, but over here we've suffered for a long time with health and safety gone mad, and kids at schools can't use conkers and play conkers and do stuff like that because they could die. I don't know, and and you just think, I don't think all of that is safety professionals. I do think businesses use health and safety to cover up their lack of appetite to for this stuff like, but. Um, I do think that sometimes you see a lot of safety professionals making decisions doing things and just think you're contributing to this this mad over the top thing and the example I'll, I'll use to kind of bring this into a loop um is i put a post on linkedin um, about when we do a health and safety video for example um so and i was using an example of a person selling a safety product they were, they were going through this safety product in an office in a controlled office environment But because it was a safety-based product, they were wearing a hard hat and a high-vis. I'm like, why are you wearing a hard hat and a high-vis? You're in an office. (laughs) Because it's like, oh, it's a safety video. We should wear a hard hat and a high-vis. So I put a post up saying you're devaluing that PPE by using it because people are going to be like, oh, we have got to wear high-vis all the time. You're devaluing it. And so stop doing it. Um, in my opinion that was just my opinion a lot yeah. of people I would say about 60% of the people in the comments agreed but There's a lot of people that come across it and, and, and didn't agree with it and a lot of their stances were I'm gonna do as much as I can to eliminate or reduce the risk as much as possible I'm still gonna wear PPE and I was like why? If you've reduced the risk as possible, as much as possible, you put segregation in place for, let's let's use a high-vis example. You put segregation in place so the truck physically cannot hit you while you're wearing a high-vis. Or it's just, it's it's even safer, isn't it? No, it's just you being an idiot.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And I mean, the funny
1: thing is it's a lie. They don't do that. You know, mm. they'll say they do it and they'll give you examples of where they believe they have done it, but they don't. They, yeah. There's nobody who always reduces all risks to the lowest level possible at all times.
0: And then and, puts PPE on. <laughs>
1: so the easy way for you to refute it is to ask them, hey, in your morning coffee or your morning tea, how did you verify it wasn't poisoned before you drank it? <laughs> they a great example. 0% of them did it you know yeah. and so how do you know it wasn't poison then well when you drank it you didn't die oh okay I guess you don't care about your safety then mm-hmm. uh, you know oh of course you know there's some things we have to do because it's safe enough you know that's and that's not me being flippant and saying safety is bad actually I think the us not focusing on that reality is A, one of the reasons why workers and some managers don't take us seriously because they recognize there's no way they can get to a zero risk state. For some reason, we keep saying it and we look foolish. And then B, we're stop we're making the hard decisions about safety. Um, we're kind of taking ourselves out of that conversation. Because if we say that you, you have to get to zero risk, then, um, we're out of the conversation when it comes time to get the work done and they have to find a way to take the risk because you have yeah. to, no choice. You're not going to
0: talk to Ron because Ron wants no risk. Yeah. He's crazy. <laughs> you know, <Ron laughs> what we're talking
1: about. Um, you know, and so if we, if we come to them and say, you know what, this is a tough question. Safety is not black and white. This is, this is, it's nuanced. It's, you know, so when it comes time to make those decisions, let's do it together. You know, when it comes time to figure out what we need to do and where we need to draw the lines, let's just do it. mix. You know, I don't know what the answers are going to be. You don't know what the answers are going to be. But I think together we can come up with a good answer. I think if we do that, we get trust and we make better decisions and we get more safety. I mean, it's like a win, win, win. And it's paradoxically by admitting that safety is hard. You know, it's not easy.
0: Yeah,
1: 100%. It's crazy, I just, it drives me bonkers, the 40% people you talk about. I've, I've dealt with them too, I'm just like, you're just yeah. lying to yourself, <laughs>
0: you know, it's and not you, true. The conversation on LinkedIn, and that's probably another thing that annoys me. Is that we can't see it, we seem to the, not be able to disagree with each other without getting aggressive. But And that's essentially where this conversation led, the gentleman just started being rude and aggressive, and to a point where he called me a snowflake, which I thought was interesting. So if what? You, if you, a uh, snowflake. Uh, do you know what that means in the UK? It's like, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was a big thing in the United States. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Particularly like during the being
0: soft 16. as shit and all that. And yeah. I was like, God, if you knew me, you'd know I'm the opposite of a of a of a snowflake. But anyway, he was Absolutely. talking away, and he was. You obviously have never worked in oil and gas. You've obviously never worked offshore. And I was just like, oh, well done. You worked in oil and gas. Congratulations. Yeah. But it's such a shame. Um. Ah, uh, do you know what?
1: Living in a cave doesn't make you a geologist.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, you know, working in oil and gas doesn't make you an expert. Sorry, mm, you know, yeah. and you're proving to me that you don't know what it what it's about. I'm sure he has a lot of great knowledge, and I'm sure these people have a lot to add, but by making themselves willfully ignorant of what's going on, wh- what it takes to get work done, they're not helping themselves, and they're certainly not making anybody safer.
0: No. and and i just think that uh, i'm conscious we've been chatting for about uh, nearly over an hour now but so we will bring this to an end um no worries but i do think that there is you do genuinely devalue it i think and you know getting people to wear a high vis for the sake of wearing a high vis safety for safety's sake like you said earlier wear gloves just to make it safer and it's like but they don't need to wear that you know you'll reduce you're trying to reduce the risk to, to like 0.000% and you know really they don't need to wear that but what that does in my opinion what that does is 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 people switch off from safety so they and it's the same thing we're not going to talk to wrong because one wants no no risk it's the same thing we're not going to wear PPE because last time we wore it and it was pointless mm-hmm. the one time they do need to wear it they won't wear it and a prime example of that was again when I was in my youth in safety I, walked, I was going to uh, Subway for lunch and I was walking around the corner and there was these three gentlemen um, working on a, on a factory roof. Um, two were on the roof, one was on the floor. And I walked past and the both of them on the roof they had high-vis, hard hat. I mean, they're on the roof. I don't know why they're wearing a hard hat unless a s- seagull's going <laughs> to shit on them or something. Yeah. So anyway, it's got this hard hat on and, and a high-vis and a harness. So I was like, oh, okay, they've got a harness. But I was looking, I was looking that harness is not connected to anything. <laughs> so I was young, arrogant, just done my safety, like qualification. So I went over and said like, Hey gents, like what's the, um, what's those harness connected to? Well, I don't see, understand the point you're wearing them. And they were like, what? And I was like, your harness not connected to anything. So it's completely pointless.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he, and he literally went, he went like this. I'm going sec. looking for his procedures he gets his folder out and he goes, wear high vis, wear hard hat, wear harness. No, we're wearing a harness, mate. Go on, piss off, go get your lunch. And I was like, you're wearing a harness, but it's just PPE. it's doing nothing. When And I said to him, think about when you fall off the roof, what's that harness going to do? And I yeah. knew he didn't have an answer because he just got aggressive and started shouting at me. And, and that... That is what I think it does when we, we devalue PPE. We, and, and this is just one example. We do it for loads of stuff. We do it for signage as well. But we devalue that stuff. So when we stop people actually using their brains and going, I'm wearing a harness, what is it actually doing? Oh, I need to connect it to something with a lanyard. Oh, great. Is that lanyard tested to take my weight? You know, And it, you end up asking those questions. But we just take it for gospel, wear a, wear a hive is, wear a harness, Harness is doing friggle. It's just yeah. frustrating.
1: Yeah, and, and to me, that's a, man. That's another great example of what we're talking about. In in that, if we and I love the way you phrased it about you know not engaging the people's minds, not getting them mm. to think about this, um, because it, why do why do they have to think when it's black and white? It's just shut mm. up, harness on. Well, no, I mean working on a roof. Anybody who's worked on roofs you know, you, a really tough question that often has to get asked is where would you tie off? You know, yeah. where where is the appropriate tie off point on there? That's not an easy question to answer that is huh? answerable from an office way far away from the job site. So, you know, we need to get to the job site. We need to go and engage our brains and ask tough questions and figure out how we can make this work in real life. And when we just gave them a book and said, here's what you do to do that job, go out and do it. And if I find you not doing it, I'm gonna run you off my job site. Yeah. Uh, we just lost one of the most important safety tools we have, which is mm-hmm. our brains, right? We told people to sh- shut your brain off and do the work. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a shame, you know? It's, yeah. it's like we treat, uh, you know, our, uh, the brains of our workers like an unintended consequence of hiring, you know, muscles.
0: <laughs> what a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, and we'll replace those brains with robots that only have one brain and one way of thinking
1: absolutely
0: yeah. isn't that the beautiful future yeah exactly there's a reason why we haven't
1: done that yet though I mean there's a reason why we're having problems with automated cars there's a reason why um, you know in, in so many industries it, you got to believe if industry could have replaced workers with robots they would have already you know but we can't in most industries why because work requires mental effort and when we teach people that it doesn't, and when we treat it like it doesn't, we are doing ourselves a huge disservice.
0: Mm. But then you put it like that. I'm just thinking, as you said, if you put it like that, if you're building a robot to run a machine, you have to you have to preempt every single possible solution, uh, system, issue, everything that goes on in that machine to program in to that robot. What mm-hmm. to do next in that situation? And let's I- ignore AI in that because I'm nowhere near intelligent enough to it, so we even <laughs> talk about that. Um, can barely spell AI, but <laughs> um, uh, so so you have to kind of preempt everything. Um, but that's what we're trying to do with procedures and policies. Is that. We're trying to preempt everything and teach our human people with with the most intelligent brains on the on the earth, or some of us at least. And and we're trying to. We're trying to say, what, do what I think with my one brain, not, not you problem solve, and it's just it's fascinating. We're treating them like robots, but yet we're struggling to get robots to replace them. Yeah. It's, it's ironic, really, isn't it?
1: The smartest people in the world are trying to figure out how to make work so routine that we can make a robot, and they haven't figured it out yet, but safety professionals, we got this figured out. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> oh, you know? It's, there's it's just like very little humility in our profession, and it's, that's yeah. shocking.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, that uh, maybe that's a point to leave this conversation. I do feel we we to be fair as much as I've not read out my questions we have covered pretty much everything that I was intended to talk yeah, about exactly. and I think we've had a great conversation as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, um me. thank you for coming on the podcast Ron. Um yeah. do you, do you want to give us um I know the, the 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 website's kind of going over to somebody else but if you want to plug your business and and if people want to talk to you um, the, how they can get hold of you? Do you want to do that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, anybody can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm always uh, contactable. Do that. Um, I, I work for a consulting company in the United States here, Reflect Consulting Group. It's reflectcg.com. So, if anybody wants to contact me through that, you can as well. So, um, yeah, I just love. It. And it doesn't have to be uh, for business stuff. If you just uh, want to talk about something, I'm happy to talk about it.
0: Cool. Cool, and I'll put I'll put your LinkedIn and, and the website and everything all in the description for everybody as well. Cool, Thank thanks you. for coming on the podcast, Ron. I really appreciate that.
1: Thank you, James, I appreciate
0: it. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, give us a like if you listen on YouTube, if you listen on iTunes, don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you do leave us a review don't forget screenshot it and tweet us at rebranded safety or come find me on linkedin james mcpherson come find us on facebook as well rebranding safety we are absolutely everywhere so come and hit us up on social media we would love to engage with you further all the links and stuff we've mentioned in the podcast we're going to link in the description to make sure you check out below make sure you go and check out safetydifferently.com doesn't matter if you're a safety professional or business owner it doesn't matter there's some real innovating stuff on there There's some real eye-opening blogs videos etc all on that website it's absolutely great website to add to your favorites list try and think of three people that you know that will benefit from listening to this podcast share this with them we need to get this message out there people we need more and more people just thinking about health and safety as as a positive thing to improve their business a way to manage their risk that affect their brand etc it's not just that old school health and safety it's all about improving your business and that's what we need to do so make sure you become part of this campaign i'll catch you next week in the podcast safe Hey everyone, you looking for something a little bit different for your next digital or physical conference, business event, safety event? How about health and safety's first and only YouTuber? Go to www.rebrandsafety to get and safety at your next event. Or email me at james at Catch you later. Safe.